Welcome to the Volrath Feed, the show that's focused on bringing you into the commercial side of the food industry. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And with me, as always, is our producer, Justin Pearson. Hello, Justin. Hello, Rich. How are we today? Good? Everything yeah. all right? Really great after that conversation we just had. Right, right. You know, everybody, we, we had a fantastic conversation here with a chef. And, you know, we plan our show pretty carefully, but I think we're going to go in a little bit different direction. And we are going to just roll right into this and let you listen to this conversation that we had with our guest today, Chef Jessica Dawson. And uh, just let that play out. I think, you know, she's a great storyteller. And we had, as I said, just a great conversation mm-hmm. with her and about all of her travels and experiences. So I think we'd just like to let you hear that one today. And, and we'll kind of forego our normal intro into the show. We'll make this a portrait of a traveling chef. There you have it. <laughs> so without further ado, Jessica Dawson. You know, I think that I was always taught by my parents, specifically my mom, if you want something, go after it. Whatever you want, go get it. Mm. Um, And that is what I did, you know? And my parents really supported if I had a dream, if I could get to where I wanted to go, if I could get the money. Like I went to culinary school in Italy after I was working for Gail and then Spiaggia. And it was expensive. (laughs) And I had to make the money to be able to do that. So they always supported you if you could kind of make it to that end goal. If you could see it, do the actions to get there and actually like make it through the finish line, they supported you as they waved you goodbye to New York and then Italy. (laughs) So they weren't they weren't the ones that told you don't quit that job. Because you mentioned something I read about you that you had spent a lot of time or people that would tell you, don't leave that job, and you left the job because yeah. you wanted to go do something. So you're, yeah. they were the they were the ones that just encouraged you to go do that thing that you wanted to go do. Yeah, you know, I think that there were also times where they were like, you have this amazing job, why would you leave it? Um, one of those times was when I was working as the catering coordinator. I was only 19, I think, when I took the job. 19? No, I was 20. I was 20 when I took the job and I was the catering coordinator for the Publican brand. It was huge because that's mm-hmm. one-off hospitality in Chicago, which is an amazing company to work for. Mm-hmm. Couldn't really believe I got the job, but did get it and did an amazing job at the job. But I think that I've always had this instinct of when it's time to go and when it's time to move on. Um, and for there, I knew when it was time to go, but I didn't know what I was going to do next. And when I did that, I decided I was going to get like, I lived on Lakeshore. So I lived right across from the lake in Chicago. And I had paid back my student loans at that time because I went to college in New York for a year. I went to Culinary Institute Mm -hmm. and I decided I would get an ice cream cart and I would make fresh ice cream and I would sell it along the Lakeshore and that would be my summer. Because I'm all about like Joseph Joseph Campbell's like follow your bliss wherever your bliss takes you follow it and it's going to get you to where you're supposed to go and so I decided I would do that and then I got the job with America's Test Kitchen I had like gone to pool table too I'd like decided to get an ice cream cart and a pool table in my apartment <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and neither of those ended up panning out because I got a plane ticket instead to America's <laughs> Test Kitchen in Boston and then to cruise ships which is where I taught for them. So how did the the go from so you said something about the follow the bliss or something it, it mm-hmm. regardless of the bills I guess right because you had a good job that was paying the bills and you're going to sell ice cream which is a bit you know can be a <laughs> can be a bit of a risk to to make enough to pay the bills right but you did mm-hmm. it then how did the a test kitchen come from that or did that was there was there a connection there or how did it happen Yeah you know I never did get to sell my ice cream You never yes. did Wow <laughs> you know because I got the job too fast and I had just been You know, I was looking for my next move. I was looking for something that where I could really connect in with food again, because I had this was a desk job where I was kind of doing the numbers and working with the guests and coordinating and leading groups. And it was really exciting. But when it was time to learn more about the food, I kind of felt driven to do that. I felt like it was time to go back into the food world and I didn't know what that looks like yet. Um, and I thought maybe it's about being inquisitive in a test kitchen. You know, maybe it's about learning 
I'd always wanted to know the reasons behind things, which is why I originally went into pastry. It's very much so like you have to know why, what buttermilk does and what baking powder does as opposed to baking soda. So I decided a test kitchen would be a great idea. I'd been traveling always. I've always been someone who travels either on two day weekends, three day, take a week off here if I can. Um, And so when I went to America's Test Kitchen site, there was an application for a cruise ship and to teach for them. I thought, you know, like Gail always pulled me up on stage. She always told me when I was young, come up on stage with me. It's going to help you later. I don't know why, but I think it's going to help you later. And I did. And I was, we did demos in front of 25 people and then sometimes in front of 250, you know, we did Chicago um, Gourmet, we did NRA, we did, which is National Restaurant Association. Mm -hmm. You know, we did a lot of different things. And so when I applied for this job, it was strangely natural to break out a camera and do a cooking demonstration and I pulled my little brother in and I, and I made him like roll the pie and I showed him how to do the crust and they liked it. They loved it. And they called me back. Um, and it, it, this is another one where I kicked down the door though. I didn't get in. <laughs> I kicked it down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because I've been pastry and in the job description, it didn't tell you that you were only cooking or only doing pastry. And so I figured that I could choose Like I could make this amazing schedule of like all of these different desserts and I would do pies first and then I would do, you know, like I had a plan and it ended up being something very different where it was something savory. So you had to be able to teach people how to do savory things, Mm -hmm. which I had done a little bit at Spiaggia during my time there, but, and I'd done it a little bit at school and a little bit at school in Italy, but never, that was never my thing. And so the chef called me. I made it through like two months of interviews, right? It was a long interview period. And her name's Barbara. And she quizzed me, pop quiz, on a bunch of just culinary knowledge of like how things work and what they are and like what's the Maillard reaction. And I failed. I don't think, honestly, I don't think I answered one right. (laughs) And I had gone, I had really like, for this job, you had to get through six different people to even get the job. So I'd made it through all of them. Barbara was the sixth, you know, and I was like, could you not have been the first? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she's the one who explained what the job was to me. So I said, before she hung up, she was like, you know, Jessica, I'm not going to blow smoke up your shorts. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't skirt. It was shorts. I'm not going to blow smoke up your shorts. And I thought to myself, well, here it comes. That's very politically correct. Thank yeah. you for not doing that. You know, but she said, you don't have the job. <laughs> I said, oh. oh, you know, and I guess at this point in my career, I wasn't used to not to being denied jobs. You know, Chicago's really small. I worked in Michelin restaurants mostly. And so you usually don't even have to apply for the job someone like texts you if you leave a job they're like oh my god i heard you left tonight like we want you you know it's easy and so with this i said oh and she was about to hang up and it was like memorial day she was about to hang up and i said wait give me one week i said tell me three culinary books to read i'll read all of them i'll know every answer to your questions just let me do this and she said you know what? Fine. Fine. Wow. I'll give you a week. And so for that whole week, I didn't, you know, I did nothing but study. You know, I got the books. I studied. I had note cards. I had a s- stack of them that was like the half a ruler, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and when she called me back, she called me back an hour early because she's always traveling. So she's always on different time zones. And she was really disappointed. I was really um, confused. She's like, you know, Jessica, I thought we were going to talk then and blah, blah, blah. You know, she knows I'm young. So it was definitely a thing where, oh, I thought you were going to do this and you didn't follow through. 
And I looked at the clock and I said, no, no, we said like central standard time and I have one more hour. I was like, and I actually, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to have to hang up because I need that hour to keep studying. And I was like, <laughs> is that okay with you? Because I need to go through my note cards like one more time. <laughs> and she said to me, oh, you know what, Jessica, don't hang up. You have the job. What? Hmm. And I said, what? Yes. <laughs> I was like, no, no. Quiz me. Please quiz me. <laughs> she said, no, I'm not going to quiz you. And I said, no, please quiz me. <laughs> please, I need to please, be graded. <laughs> please quiz me right I now. I put all this work into this. Yeah. You know, and she said, no. She said, I looked at your resume again. You've made a lot of promises to a lot of important people and you've kept them. And I'm going to believe that you're going to keep that promise to me. Um, and so I went on to be the highest rated host in the America's Test Kitchen program. Um, wow. I, to clarify one point. So you're mm -hmm. working for America's Test Kitchen, but you're doing it on a, a ship. Right. And that's where you're doing this hosting. Were you ever on the television show, on the, on the show part of America's? Okay, so they also yeah. have this on cruise ships where they have... I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, this was a different arm, and this was Got kind it. of a way to expand the brand. And my guess is to find a more international audience as well, because I we see. were teaching people from all over the world. So was it like the America's Test Kitchen that we see on television, where you explain all the science behind things and why it does, and that's okay. So that is the, the same flavor of the America's Test Kitchen. You're just doing it on a boat versus on television. Oh, yeah. It, and it. it's a very different thing. There's no prompters. There's a guarantee that something will go wrong. <laughs> yeah. The ship is always listing, so it's going from left to right, and you're kind right. of like leaning with it and rocking with it. And <laughs> it's a very – it drew different people. So they didn't really sure. – they couldn't really find people within their within the test kitchen who were ready to go out to sea and never be home. Um, that drew a different crowd of chefs. Sure, and it's also I think different and maybe less stress when you're not doing it on television where it's going to be recorded forever, right? You're doing it in front of a live audience that you can have a little bit of rapport with them, and if you drop the salmon, no one's going to ever know, right? Except those people in the room at that time. Well, you know. They actually record them for quality. So they record them. They can be sent to the test kitchen. They can be sent to um, your bosses within the program. Okay. They can be sent to anyone. So it's they were always recorded, and you always knew someone might watch you like drop salmon. And I was <laughs> fine with that. You know, it's just the reality of what it is. Yeah. So you worked on the, the ship then for how long? I worked on the ship for different ships, but I worked on ships for two years. Okay. And then you enjoyed the travel side of that because you do a oh lot. You've said you do a lot of traveling, so oh, that yeah. had to be fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd been traveling for so long. I started traveling by going to Italy when I was, I think I was 16 when I went to culinary school in Italy. Um, I've been traveling all throughout the U.S. And when I took this job, it was just natural to be away for four months at a time. Because you would work for four months, and then you would be off ships for two. Oh, that's a nice schedule. Especially yeah. if you're young and no ties, right? Yeah. Nothing and to... I mean, thank God for my parents who let me. I had a whole apartment. So when I left my life in Chicago, I left this unbelievable apartment across from the lake. I lived on like the 28th floor. I had a great boyfriend. I had the perfect job. And it just didn't bring me the satisfaction that I wanted and I left it, you know, I left all of it and I packed it up and put it, thank God for my parents at my parents' house <laughs> um, in the basement. And that's how I was able to kind of juggle working for four months. And then my two months, I would vacation from my kind of vacation, my work life. <laughs> um, and I would go somewhere else and I wouldn't come home. I would travel. Okay. So then what, what'd you end up doing after the ships? After the ships, I kept traveling, actually. Um, I decided that this teaching thing was definitely for me. Mm -hmm. We were only running 16 different shows at the time, I think, maybe 18. And you're teaching the same facts over and over. And I'm someone who really wants to keep learning new things and seeing new things. And I was ready for something else. And so I decided that I would take this teaching thing to land 
And I would write on my blog about it. And I would go to South America and I went to Iceland and I worked in a fish restaurant. And I come back and I teach classes in the U.S. about my travels. So when you were traveling and you were off ship, you would obviously just be somewhere. You were coming back to Chicago, right? So you were somewhere else, wherever the ship landed or how, how did that work You're yeah, at some the, place? The way it works with your contracts is that you they fly you back. They're under this obligation, this legal obligation to fly you back. You can deviate, but only for a certain amount of time. So I never, it's a lot of paperwork. Oh. You know, I'd rather almost pay the extra $50 than do, <laughs> do the paperwork. Um, so I would come back to Chicago and then I would take off. So how much of your, of the, influence of food did you get from your travels it was that a big part of things that yeah yeah i thought so a lot right (laughs) yeah a lot you know and it was more so the people that i was sharing the food with and it wasn't just the destinations it was i was working with a huge amount of filipino people indonesian people i was like tasting those flavors really for the first time in my life and i was realizing what community to especially filipino people looks like which is centered around food. And that's something that is still really special to me that they would, a lot of them worked in the kitchen and I didn't work in the traditional kitchen. I had a stage. At a stage, I had a microphone set. I had people who did my dishes. I was not doing the hard work that they were doing, but there was, and I had a team, you know, I had a team pulling my ingredients for me and I would chop them and I would measure them and everything. But I had people doing that. And I loved them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this was like my little family of people who oh, worked sure. their butts off. And I could invite them and have them come into my test kitchen. I could call their boss and say, hey, I really need to talk to Mark. Mark one or Mark two. I had two Marks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I need to talk to Mark one. And I'd have Mark one come. And then I'd be like, Mark, sit down. You've been working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I just called you near to chat. Take I a just called off, you right? in here to chat. I need nothing, you know? <laughs> and I think that that was the most special part is that I had these people and when they got off work, they would have these huge, they would make their the food from their hometowns, the guys in the kitchen. And they would all make a bunch of dishes and I got invited to sit with them. And I think that was just the biggest honor was being able to sit with them and taste their flavors and appreciate them with them. So how does Iceland Factoring. It was California, Italy, Chicago, Iceland. Iceland. Where does that come from? A dartboard or how did Iceland come into this? (laughs) Well, Iceland came in because I was back from shits and I was at home and I had decided to go to Hawaii. I was going to work on like an organic farm in Hawaii for my two months. I was going to work for free there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, as one does, it seems. And I decided... I looked at the plane tickets and they were way too expensive to Hawaii, but the ones to Iceland were cheap. (laughs) Hmm. All right. (laughs) So I booked one leaving a few days later for Iceland. (laughs) I knew nothing about it. Days. I knew nothing about Iceland. My suitcases were still packed from ships. You know, I still had stuff from, I think I was in Asia at the time. I was either in Asia or Mexico. And so I decided that this was. <laughs> I was in Asia or Mexico. Mexico. I can't remember which. Yeah, I, I have that problem remember. all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it definitely wasn't Alaska yet. I was in one of those two, and I came back and I decided to go to Iceland, and I booked the ticket. But then you have to get around Iceland, so I thought, okay. I'm going to need to buy a bike while I'm there. You know, I'm ready to go on the cheap because (laughs) I want to keep traveling, right? And so then I look up Iceland and I'm like, oh, it's it's cold there. Like I look up Iceland like two days before I leave. It's just not a catchy name. (laughs) No, no. You know, in school we learned that Iceland is really green. They didn't want... Um, and Greenland, you know, was, yeah, it's, yeah, because yeah, right. they didn't want people to travel there. And so I went with that knowledge from third grade <laughs> and didn't look up the weather until like literally two days before, you know, and so and then I realized that it's so hilly and I don't like biking. Don't get me wrong. I biked to work to pay back my student loans. I have never biked for fun 
(laughs) (laughs) And so I ended up renting a car there and I looked at the car prices and they had car prices for manual and automatic. Automatic were like thousands of dollars for like two weeks. I booked a ticket for two weeks. You know, I figured I could do something. And then, so I rented a manual and I'd only driven a manual one time before. Why doesn't this surprise me? (laughs) (laughs) It was in New York city. And I was like, just seeing this guy in culinary school and he decided that it would be a good idea for our relationship to teach me how to drive his nice manual car that he loved. Was that the end of the relationship too? To me it was. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for him, he was okay. But for me, I was like so stressed out driving in New York City, you know. Mm, Yeah, We went to New York City. That's a sink or swim moment. Yeah, it was a sink. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, get out of the car. You're driving. <laughs> you know? um, but I had only driven it once and not well. So I ended up fast forward. It's a day before Iceland. I ask my twin brother if he can drive me to the airport because I needed transportation there. It's like an hour away. And I'm like, oh, God, I need I need to get my tent because I was going to camp. Right. When you go to a place with no plan, you always bring a tent. So I went, oh, okay. that's good advice. <laughs> yeah, Thank that's you. great advice. Bring a yeah. tent. So I brought my tent, of course, and he taught me how to set it up in the basement. <laughs> We'd always camped together before. <laughs> he always set it up. Like we would ultimately get in a fight. He would set up the tent alone. I never saw it through. <laughs> so he taught me in my basement how to set up a tent. We went to get long underwear because the weather was going to be so unbelievably cold. I had no idea. (laughs) And as I'm landing in Iceland, so I finally make it here, right? I'm landing and I look out the window and I'm like, wow, Iceland, what is this? You know, and I look down and there are a lot of cars. (laughs) I just, you know, it's Iceland. I didn't really anticipate there being people. (laughs) From what I saw of the photos, it just wasn't very populated. And so I land and I go to the car dealership, you know, and I'm watching YouTube videos the whole way there about how to drive a manual car. (laughs) And I get there and I get the cranky guy, which never happens to me. I get the cranky guy. He gives me the car. He's like, no, this is what you booked. This is what you get. I said, okay, dude, your car, not mine. He was like, have you ever driven a manual before? Twice. And that's an exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) And so I hop in my car and it's much smaller than it looked in the picture, right? I thought that I might be able to sleep in this car. I mean, I'm 5'2 and wouldn't have fit in the back seat. <laughs> like this is a tiny car that looked big in the picture. So I get in, I finally stuff my suitcase in and it fits. Get in the car, don't even turn it on. Turn back on my YouTube video to see if there's a new way that I need to like turn this car on. <laughs> <laughs> And the manager hops in the car and sees me watching the YouTube video. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, do you know how to even drive this? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I've driven it twice and that's an exaggeration. <laughs> and so he gave me this huge lesson, actually. And then I was wow. so bad that he offered me the automatic for free. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to get this Saving clutch back car. in one yeah, piece. Right. <laughs> right. He's like, I'm just going to cut this one right he now. He's like, this is a brand new car. Or this, it, the car was brand new. He was like, I don't want you to die in Iceland. It is not like America. Like <laughs> Driving here, there are no, you know, there are no like sidings. You go up mountains. Wind will blow you to the edge. Like that Ooh. happened to me one time. Thank God, Reno. His name is Reno. Love Reno. Thank you, Reno, for giving me <laughs> giving me an automatic. Um, <laughs> but that's the first time I went, and I just went around the country. I went around the whole country. I camped all the way. I stayed in two different hostels while I was there, um, and I ended up at a fish restaurant. And it was. I got there two hours before it opened. It was this little wood building. It was right on the water. It was beautiful. It was the best meal I had in my whole life. I got there two hours early. The guy who was managing, it was a family restaurant. He said, hey, I have to leave. It's really cold outside. Don't leave. Stay here. I'll give you the internet password, which I never do (laughs) because you need to keep entertained. Um, 
I want you to try the local flight of beers because we make local beers. It's on me. Like you're our guest. And here, let me show you how to use the record player. Cause I know you don't know, <laughs> like I didn't know. And he was like, let me show you how you're in charge. I'm leaving for two hours. <laughs> and he left so, the restaurant. Yeah. And I mean, there was one cook prepping in the kitchen and like, okay. I stayed and I tried the beers and I, I was in charge of the record player and, you know, I had the best meal of my entire life here. I mean, I had worked in Michelin kitchens. I ate in almost every single one that I worked in. I never had a better meal. And what they do is they bring out big cast iron pans of fish and it is local fish. Like the fishermen come to this little small wood building and it used to be where they kept the fishing nets. And it, so they um, they come in and they made it a restaurant with these long wooden tables. They have these beautiful candles and it's just like home, you know, and they bring up big cast iron pans of fish and the fishermen came an hour before and dropped off that fish. Fresh fish. An mm. hour before you're next to the place where the fishing boats pull in, you know, mm -hmm. and I mean, they had like eight different options. You had cod cheeks, you had everything and we got to talking and I, and the guy said to everyone when you left like they don't bring you your check it's not like america they don't bring you your check you go up and you say i'm ready to pay that was amazing can i pay you yeah. <laughs> and so i went up and i paid just like everyone and to everyone he said where are you going next what's your next stop and he would give these insider tips it was just everything about the restaurant was generous. The price, the food, the people. And he said, where are you going next? And he would give you the insider tips that no one knew. You couldn't find them on blogs. You couldn't find them nowhere. And he said, Jessica, where are you going next? And I said, you know, I don't know. I have to find a campsite next. It's kind of, that's been my move. I don't make a move until I make a move. <laughs> And he said, absolutely not. It is like zero outside. He was like, my parents have a apartment. No one's living there right now. Why don't you stay there? Hmm. And I mean, this is a man that I just met and he's huge. Mm -hmm. He's like a Viking, you know, they're big <laughs> men. And he's like, I have to close down the uh, restaurant. I don't have the keys yet. I, I'm going to have to shut it. And I'm, I don't want you to feel unsafe but I am locking the restaurant. If you want, you can wait outside. You don't have to take me up on this offer. And just that there was a sense of understanding that I could be afraid of that as a man. That's one of the first times I've experienced that. And I experienced a lot of that in Iceland, a lot of that social consciousness of that the playing fields were uneven. I could be afraid, you know, it just made sense. And so I felt like it was a good gamble, <laughs> you know, I felt like I, and I just jumped and the world catches me, you know, and I just figured that this was another moment of that. And it was, you know, I stayed in the apartment right on the water. He told me to give him a call um, next year. He was like, next year, if you want to come work here, like you're a pastry chef, you're a chef. This is a family restaurant. We would love to see like what your input would be or what you we'd love to have you. And it kind of sat with me in the back of my mind. I always, it was the best meal I ever had, of course. So I thought about it. And when I was, I was over ships by the time I was leaving them, I was over them. There were social systems in place that I didn't believe in. You know, a lot of my friends were Filipino and Indonesian and, you know, just not being paid the right amount, not being respected the way they should by guests and management. And I, I was ready to walk away from that. You know, I had gained everything that I needed to from that. And so I was in the Panama Canal and I had had finally there was a snap and I was like, it's time, Jessica. <laughs> and I went up Next. to the <laughs> and I went up to the top deck and I had his number still from last year and I like typed it in, you know, and it's an Icelandic number, so I'm hoping it's gonna work. And Panama Canal, you get a little bit of connection. It's like when you call your family if you can, because you're slowly skating through. <laughs> you're going through the locks. And I called and he answered. And I mean, the rest is history. I took the job. I, He said, I can give you housing. I can give you, you know, you come and we'll provide 
what you need. And it was just, and that arrangement, the way it worked changed in the best kind of way. Um, I have so many friends and people who feel like family from Iceland now. And so that's what catapulted working in that restaurant for three months. It's just so special. It, it really, it's the best place that I've ever worked. I can't, I can't tell you a better place to work because it was casual. It was family. I walked in on the first day because when I got there, I wasn't going to rent a car because it was so expensive. <laughs> you're like laughing. <laughs> of course, you're not going to rent a car after last time. <laughs> no, I decided not to rent a car because it was so expensive. And I had just left my paying job to do this. <laughs> and so I hitchhiked all the way up to the West oh Forest. Hitchhiked? <laughs> yeah, I hitchhiked there. And I forgot that. No like, fear. No, not really. The car, And not because I shouldn't have it, because I refuse to have it, <laughs> you know. Um, I forgot that the guys in the car dealerships, they don't get you for a couple of hours. They don't get you for a couple of hours. They don't call you. They're going to get there when they get there. And last time it didn't worry me. I like bought a juice from the juice bar and kicked up my shoes and like sat next to people who were worried because I was <laughs> like, they'll get us there, <laughs> you know? Um, but I couldn't hitchhike right from the airport to get there. And thank God I brought my tent. <laughs> of course I brought my tent. Always have a tent. And so I did camp that night. I ended up making it to a campground right outside of Reykjavik. Um, and I rolled my suitcase. So if you have a rolling suitcase and a tent, you did not expect, expect to spend the night. <laughs> you did That's not true. expect that. So I set up my tent. I hadn't eaten all day. The guy in his tent next to me just like gave me food. He was like, you're hungry. Like didn't even speak English. I think he, he was like, you're hungry. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And he gave me like noodles and then another random person like she threw on an avocado and then someone threw on hot sauce that made it way too hot but great you know <laughs> um and then I did hitchhike and I hitchhiked I took one bus that took me too far by accident um no I hitchhiked and then I took a bus it took me too far and then I had to come back and hitchhike backwards <laughs> <laughs> Which in Iceland, if your bus goes too far, what happens is you are in the middle of nowhere. I had no idea. I don't speak the language at all. The bus driver had called my stop. I didn't get off. He looks in the mirror and his look of concern, it had internet. You know, the bus had internet. Buses in America, I don't think they have internet. So I was just so enthralled by like, they uh, have internet. More YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> so he saw me and I saw his eyebrows furrow and he like stopped the bus slammed it came back he was like oh my god wrong place wrong place 30 minutes back <laughs> like no <laughs> so he gets off the bus with me and i didn't bring one suitcase this time i brought two because i was going to be there for three months yeah. i had all of my crystals because i need my crystals a <laughs> hundred pounds of suitcase i'm hitchhiking <laughs> with so i get off and then i have my backpackers bag too i get off and he pulls away. He's like, here or next town? Here, I guess. <laughs> so I get off and it was like a movie moment because this bus, it, it's, I can't see past it. It pulls away and there's nothing. Wow. <laughs> there is absolutely nothing. So I get my, it actually, it was one suitcase. It was one suitcase in the bag, but they were a hundred pounds. So it was a backpacker's bag. And, and how cold was it? Freezing. Thanks for asking. Oh it was freezing. Gosh. <laughs> and I take my bag and I just start walking in the other direction. Um, and some guy did pick me up. He had nothing in his trunk. And I was like, wow, this is how I go. <laughs> this is really, he was planning for me, you know, wow. and he wasn't. And the thing I love about Icelandic men in particular is that their intentions are very clear. Um, it's not they're not overly friendly. They're not, you know, looking for any kind of validation of this or that. And he just picked me up. He was like, yep, I'm taking you and I don't have to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> and for me as a woman, I'm like, yes, <laughs> amazing. Um, and then I got a ride share with like this amazing woman who was like going to meet her girlfriend in the West Fjord. So we stuffed my bags into her car and 
you know, went. And I finally, I made it to the restaurant and I worked a shift that night. (laughs) (laughs) But my point is that when I got there, I saw goggles. What I loved about this place is that it was so casual, you know, and I'm, I'm very casual, you know? And so they had these goggles and I was like, oh, that's so cute. Somebody like they have a little cousin that goes, you know, swimming in the icy cold water. No, it was for chopping onions. It was brilliant. I'd never seen it before. (laughs) And we all wore them. (laughs) The onion goggles. Wow. So it was life-changing. It was a life-changing experience that was meant to be. And it's a good validation of following your bliss and doing what feels right. Even if, you know, people are like, no, you're leaving a high-paying, acclaimed job. And sometimes you just have to be like, it feels right Mm -hmm. and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I love listening to your stories. You're, you're, it makes sense. You're a good teacher because you can tell a good story, and it's fun <laughs> listening to you. You, you certainly lead a, a very. Um, you've done a lot of cool things and a lot of interesting things. It's, it's very neat to listen to. Um, what, where, where did you go? You worked at the restaurant for a few months. You said, or and how yeah. long? And then you, what was the next jump in your life? You know, I was there for three months. I like hated cats, and I ended up getting a cat there too. I woke up with one like on me and that was just horrifying. <laughs> and then it pressed its nose. It slowly came up to me and pressed its nose against mine and like did a little like Eskimo kiss. <laughs> and it, so I made good with cats while I was in Iceland. And then when I moved that house to an apartment, I ended up getting a fish. One of the guys was in Reykjavik and I said, grab me a fish. I need a, I need, I need to replace this cat. <laughs> so I got a fish and brought him home like on the plane with me from Iceland. Um, it was my beta. His name is Spartan. Um, he passed away a few days ago. So. Oh, I'm sorry oh. to hear that. But he made it on an international flight. That's... You know, they told me no. And I said, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. I mean, that's, that's a legend right there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> But I ended up coming back. Was that the question? Is if I came back or what I did next? Yep. Yes. What did you do yeah. next? Right. Um, I get sorry. I get so off, <laughs> so off track. Um, next, I went to South America. I was supposed to go to Antarctica. Came back for a couple of months. Worked at Lost Larson Bakery, um, which is one of the best bakeries in Chicago. And my friend Bobby Schaefer owns it, and it is just amazing (laughs) they have the best laminated doughs they have an incredible team and i worked there for a few months and bobby knew that i just travel you know and he's always been very supportive of that he was the pastry chef at grace so when i worked at grace we overlapped and he was the pastry chef that i worked for there and we stayed in contact all throughout my career so i think this is eight years or nine years of us having worked together and it's cool to see people how they like grow in their progression because boss larson was like only an idea for him you know when we were at grace and then it came into fruition and it's just amazing Hmm. so i worked there for a few months and he knew like you're going to antarctica we'll see you we'll see you when we see you after that and so i ended up going to south america i booked a ticket because i had a friend on a ship and the ship was going to antarctica and i always wanted to go it was over christmas break which to me means nothing every day is christmas break you know (laughs) and so i go and she quit her job two weeks before so ships really end up grading on people it's kind of like a petri dish of the world's problems in one small condensed place where you can't get around it. (laughs) Mm. And so some people last a long time and other people like us last a few years. And she decided it was her time to go. I was like, no, Laura, no, I'm coming. (laughs) Don't quit. I have (laughs) two weeks. (laughs) No, I'll be there. I'll be there in two weeks. And she quit. So I had another friend who did this kind of roundabout thing where she got me on the ship. She got the papers signed. Um, when they had said no originally. So I got on the ship for one day before they kicked me off. <laughs> you know, and I had, I mean, I had no intentions of being in South America. I had no plan. I had, I had nothing but a suitcase full of stuff for Antarctica and like for a month and a half of Peru because I planned on being in Peru and surfing there. Oh, of course. Why not? 
<laughs> and so I ended up getting kicked off the ship before it left for left Buenos Aires, like completely kicked off, no plan, mm -hmm. a week before Christmas. And, you know, it was kind of a relief too, though. It was kind of a relief to not be back in that space so soon. Hmm. And so I got off, kind of gave the ship the bird, <laughs> you know, and Say got goodbye. back. Well, I got back in a cab and realized that a lot of people didn't speak any English here. And I knew Spanish, but I knew bad Spanish. And so the way that they speak, though, is kind of Italian because they have a lot of people who came from Italy and settled in Buenos Aires. So I came off and I was ready to tell my cab driver everything. I was ready to tell him how I didn't have to see my ex. I was ready to tell him how I was excited to be here and didn't know what to do, how I got kicked off. You know? And he didn't. I, so I told him in really, really bad Spanish. <laughs> and in the cab, I ended up finding a hostel and he drove me to it. I walked in, my sweatshirt kept falling down. I kicked it through the hall, you know, to get to the, <laughs> to get to the area. And I said, do you, please tell me you have rooms because it says on your website, everything's booked. He said, I have one more bed. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I booked it. I stayed for a long time. I stayed for a week and a half there and I did Duolingo straight for a week and a half. And Duolingo is a language learning program mm -hmm. because I knew that I wouldn't survive in South America if I didn't do that. Um, and working in kitchens, I already knew a good amount of Spanish. It just took that time of coming back to you of it kind of. And so I traveled all throughout South America. I went down to wine country in Mendoza, in Buenos Aires, or in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, I'm sorry. In Argentina, I went down to Mendoza and I met a friend there who was English and we ended up spending the holidays together. <laughs> you know, we traveled like a family and she was like, I'm going to book, I'm going to book our next uh, tickets. You know, she was a good planner and I'm never a good planner. So she booked our tickets to Chile and we went to Chile and, you know, we met friends for the new year and celebrated in hostels in the new year. And hostels are places where you, where I pay a very small amount to be on a bunk bed with someone I don't know and nine other people in the same room, 10 other people in the same room, you know? Um, and that's just how I traveled. I traveled mostly by bus and mostly one time by airplane. I traveled in South America and I went down to Puntas Arenas, Arenas. Um, so I went down and there's a big hike there. I'm trying to think of what the hike is called. But there's a big hike there, and I didn't plan for that, but most people plan two years ahead for that. Mm. And I just got mm. lucky enough to meet a guy who, like, hurt his ankle along the trails and came back to this beautiful hostel. And I had him help me plan the trip. Huh. <laughs> I was like, what do I do, you know? And just made really great friends along the way. Ended up surfing in Peru. I went to Peru to surf. I went to the jungle in Ecuador which was unexpected. I didn't mean to go. You know? <laughs> it just happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was experiencing a lot of the street food, which was incredible. You know, the street food there and just like the culture around street food was incredible. Um, and to see how people interact with each other was really interesting too. Now, are you working in restaurants in any of these places? This is all just pleasure, right? This is all just traveling for experience, just fun and experiencing the food. So when did you, did you take this experience? Did you bring it back into a restaurant experience then? And when yeah. was that? Yeah. So basically what I did from this huge three-month adventure throughout South America was I came back and I teach classes. So I teach classes on the places that I go. And so I had a street food class that was almost all the way filled up. So the first thing that I had was my Icelandic class booked. Um, oh, okay. And so I was, I taught this huge, amazing fish class. It was so much fun. I taught it at Eloa Farm and I did um, a couple of the recipes that I learned in Iceland. And so I talked all about Iceland and I talked about what it was like to live there and what the town was like and what the people were like and, you know, my food experiences there. And it was in Eloa Farm. So it's this organic farm and they have this big counter island and everyone goes around it. 
this was before COVID. <laughs> Thank God I did this before COVID. Um, and I brought, I flew in Icelandic fish. So straight from Iceland, within 42 hours, these people were eating Icelandic fish. Wow. And it was just incredible. And so that was the first class of a series that I would have done of these classes um, in person. Oh, is that the Jessica Hits the Road? Is that the... The idea of Jessica Hits the Road, which is my website, is about teaching people to kind of jump, I think. Teaching people it's okay to jump. Something will catch you. Um, and so I want to write about those experiences. I want to be honest about what it takes to be brave, I guess, in Michelin kitchens and what it takes to deny a system that you were kind of bred to believe. I, I have big dreams for Jessica Hits the Road. Um, but one of the things that I do through that is also promote my classes that I teach right now virtually. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to keep teaching these classes about the destinations that I've been. But Gail Gand and I, we recently opened up a virtual cooking school called Kitchen Sisters Cooking School. And right. That's, we've heard of that, right? Gail talked about that mm -hmm. as well, right? Yeah. And it is so much fun. I love the way that we, Gail's like this too. We kind of lean and we bend and we go where, where things fit at the time and virtual classes, there will always be a space for them. That's what we've learned is that seeing people in their kitchens and be confident for the first time in their kitchens, we're not just making things for people and serving it to them. These people are going out, they're shopping for the ingredients, they're making it alongside us, and we're taking them step by step through what that looks like. And it has bred really, really confident cooks. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, that, that is a, a great experience to uh, to see that in people and, and know that you you help bring that about, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's really special and it's what I love most about cooking is coming together with people and like whether it's working on a team um a restaurant team or teaching people i think it's so special to pass along something that you know knowing that they could teach you things too right because i'm mm -hmm. a firm believer that i do not know everything that's right um and i think that's the most special thing about cooking is that i can be real and i can be authentic when i'm teaching and i teach kids classes and that is just totally my thing. I'm so thrilled for quarantine because of it. Because otherwise, I never would have started. I wouldn't have known to. Mm -hmm. um, but there, these kids are incredible. And they are, I have the same kids just coming back and back. And I love that I know, like, I have a Ruby and I have an Eli and I have, you know, and I have an uh -huh. Anne Marie and a Nora and an Amelie and a Lily. Like I have these amazing kids and I know who's going to raise their hand first, you know, and I know who won't talk, mm -hmm. but who probably wants to. Yeah. And I think that it's just so special that we can connect by cooking because I'm teaching them to provide for someone else. But I'm also, I just think it's really special to, be able to empower someone in any way. But cooking is kind of my own way that I can do that. And that's what I love about Kitchen Sisters is yeah. that it's made explicitly for that and explicitly for the people who show up who have requests to learn something or to be part of this community. So, yeah. Yeah, very cool. Jessica, one thing that I, I always like to ask Mark guests is you've already told me what your favorite thing that you've ever had was could you tell me what your favorite thing or one of the your favorite things that you've ever made could have been at a restaurant or or last week at home you know whatever mm. Ooh, i like that i have two can i say two yeah absolutely they're both desserts i was kind of born into this world through desserts i guess <laughs> <laughs> um and kind of made my way with desserts but one of them would be key lime pie. My grandma always made this amazing key lime pie. And I, my easy bake oven broke when I was like seven years old. Oh, <laughs> what broke? No, the, the light bulb, bulb went out? out. <laughs> yes, the light bulb. No, that's exactly it. The light bulb went out. That's about all there is to break on that. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> 
And I was horrified. <laughs> and I think it was the special light bulb that you had to order from the company. Like, we couldn't fix it. And it was going to be too expensive. And my mom said, you know, Jessica, and I was seven. She said, you know, Jessica, we have two ovens. Use one. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. So <laughs> she went into her office. She had an office downstairs. And I decided to do it really quietly because I didn't know if she meant it. <laughs> and so I made my grandma's key lime pie and I just really quietly did it. I brought over a kitchen stool and I stood on top of it and I balanced this key lime pie with this meringue topping, you know, and I just followed the recipe. There was nothing intimidating to it to me about it because I hadn't learned to be intimidated. It was just what you did. You know, and so I did it, popped in the oven. When it came out, I knew that I had to have like the mitts on, popped them on, <laughs> took it out. And by the time she came up, she said, and I cleaned up and she said, did grandma come? Did grandma come and drop this off? I said, no, mom, I made it. And I like <laughs> showed her the cookbook. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> you know? And I said, you said that I could use the oven. <laughs> Um, and so that's really special to me just because my grandma made it, my mom made it, and then I made it. Um, so that's my big one. And then I guess the other one that's really special to me would be macarons, mm -hmm. not macaroons. Oh, yeah. Mac yep. Okay. <laughs> Rich and I, the, our, that's one of our favorites are macarons. And oh, yes, good. sir. Yep. And I always, I grew up making those and became known for making those in restaurants. Because the first one I did was at Spiaggia. And I think it's kind of a thing where a pastry chef's like, I don't want to do this. I failed at it. Someone else do it. You know, let the little one do it. <laughs> let the little one do it. If she fails, she fails, you know. And I just didn't fail. You know, it just, there was nothing intimidating to me about making this. Um, they're really finicky, which is why a lot of people don't want to. And so mm -hmm. I kind of, I, I've made thousands of them at this point, thousands of macarons and throughout Chicago. <laughs> and what I've realized is that I have failed at different times. Like I've done something wrong. I haven't left them out long enough, you know, but I learned from each one of those things, which is what has made me a really good teacher. You know, I don't feel like a failure for failing. Mm -hmm. I feel much smarter when I do fail. <laughs> um, learn, right? Yeah. And I recently taught a macaron class for Vernon Hills High School on, um, I did London Fog macarons, which the flavor is, the first time I had a London Fog was in Alaska and I was mis missing Alaska a lot. So I decided to do a class on London Fog inspired macarons. And it was so cool to see these ladies really succeed after they couldn't do it six, seven, eight times. They were like, I did it. I did it. <laughs> They're like jumping up and down. I'm like, you did it. <laughs> you know? So what's the secret? What is your tip? What's your one okay. or big tip for the successful macaron? Oh, okay. Here it is. Here's okay, what I Okay. I'm found. writing it down. Good. Get, get your pads of paper. I got here's, it. <laughs> here's what I found is that at home, it's different than making them in the restaurants, right? Because we have different equipment. We have different mm -hmm. um, ingredients. At the beginning of quarantine, I could not make a macaron. I could not make a successful one, which is why I decided to teach the class six months later, because I would make myself get in the groove. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. <laughs> and so I signed up to make the class, do the class, not knowing really how to make them work at home. And so I made a bunch of them. And what I found is that for my almond meal, what I did not do, and a lot of people have you do, is pulverize the almond meal. Um, they have you pulverize the almond meal and the powdered sugar usually in a food processor. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that that's not something that worked for me. So I don't do that. I only sipped it. Um, another thing, I use the Italian style macaron meringues, the Italian style meringues for the macaron, which is different than French because French is really unstable. There's no cooked, um, cooked sugar and water. There's no simple syrup that you're adding. It's just sugar and egg whites. That's French meringue. I make the Italian style meringue and always have in restaurants where you cook the sugar to 
248 Fahrenheit. I'm trying to think Celsius for you right now. Sorry. I can't do that. I can't convert right now on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) But you bring it to 248 and then you end up pouring it into your egg whites and you have to get it exactly when they're like really nice and bubbly, right? They have to be perfect. You've added your cream of tartar. You add the um, sugar in down the wall. And that's Uh something that you always have to do because you don't want your whisk to catch on it. Um, That's pretty common knowledge, but it's something that a lot of home cooks I've seen make that mistake of adding it into the center rather than down the side. So it will Mm. drip all the way down. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to get out a spatula. Let it be. Let it do its thing. And so next, um, you fold it in. So you do the macronage, you fold it. You need to fold it enough that when you hold up your spatula and you let that ribbon fall, it seeps back into itself or really starts to within 15 seconds. Mm. That's what you want. And then here's the big thing. Here's like <laughs> big thing you do. I'm writing. Is when you put the macarons into the oven, you have to use a wooden spoon. So you put a wooden spoon in for the first 10 minutes. Most people don't have convection ovens, which in restaurants we do. Uh In restaurants, it's blowing in those ovens, (laughs) you know, everything's going everywhere. The air is trying to cook everything uh, much faster. And so in um, conventional ovens, what you have to do is put a wooden spoon in so that the heat starts to escape. The heat is escaping and then Uh it's blowing in there and it's trying to like get back up. You know, it's working so really you, hard for you. <laughs> so you wedge the spoon in the door to yep. crack the door open, keep yep. it open, right? For the first 10 minutes. Uh. And then you take it out and you let it cook the rest of the way. Same temperature. Um, and usually hmm. I do that for about eight more minutes, but I watch it. And then they're perfect. Hmm. You know, I had one woman who didn't weigh her ingredients and they came out perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I was not translating for her. You know, I'm... I wanted to, but also I had a friend actually that I worked with on ships who attended the class and she's so sweet. Her name's, name is Sam and she poured everything into measuring cups. She was like, you know, that's a little bit over a quarter of egg whites. Can't tell you, like, it's not an exact. And this woman was so successful. I couldn't believe it huh. because everything, especially pastry chefs, everything is to the gram, you know? And I'm just not that person. <laughs> never have been, probably never will be. I won't be. I'm not working to be. But I think that it's so special that she could do that and she could be successful in the class even when I had doubts myself about that with macarons. Hmm. So we like to ask all of our guests at some point in your life or your career, and, and boy, you've got a lot of experiences here to draw from, I'm sure. Is there someone that's, motivated you with something they've said as a quote or something that that you think of often inspires you leads you guides you anything like that that you have you'd like to share on the show today i was driving to an offsite event with sarah grunberg and cc campus she's married now so that's not her last name but i was driving with two chefs and they always told me and it's advice gail always gave me too which is never say no to an opportunity So if there's an opportunity and you want something, never say no. Make time and go after it and do it. Um, I think that's what has gotten me to where I am is by never saying no and keeping and doing everything that I could. Mm -hmm. That's a great piece of advice, I think, for anybody looking to learn is just take it all in, right? No matter if somebody offers you an opportunity, take it and, and see what you learn from it. Well, we look forward to hearing about your next adventure. I can't wait to hear about what it is. And uh, is that, a, would people, if they wanted to follow that, would that be on the Just Hits the Road website? Is that yeah. where they'd find you? It's JessicaHitsTheRoad.com. Um, and I also have handles on Facebook and Instagram where it's just Jessica Hits the Road. And I would love to see more people at Kitchen Sisters Cooking School. That's the name, Kitchen Sisters Cooking School. Yeah, that's and a great one. Rich, Justin, you can come make macarons with me. <laughs> hey, I'll have right. a class coming up, so you're invited <laughs> right. to come. Fantastic. I love it. That sounds yeah. like a good one. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. but well, that's what I'll be doing. Thank you again so much for joining us here today. It's been a real pleasure. Uh, again, I can't wait to hear about your next adventure. I'm sure it will be a very memorable uh, next leap for you. So. 
thanks again for everything today. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it very much. Well, Justin, I, I got to say that that was uh, that was a great episode. A lot of interest. I was I was leaning in the entire time listening to her tell her stories and about her adventures. It it really was a, a cool show. I thought. Yeah, she, she really took you to where she's been, and mm-hmm. you can see how that really lends itself to make her a very effective teacher. Right. And I am looking forward to taking a macaron class with her. So. I think that'd be great. I think we <laughs> I should think, do it. I think she, if anyone, has the potential to, to help me make a decent <laughs> macaron. Awesome. Well, Justin, any then, uh, closing thoughts from you today? Yeah, you know it. I would like to remind everyone to please hit that subscribe button and never miss another moment with a chef or food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, we would greatly appreciate if you left us a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, and maybe a topic that we could talk about in the future. Perfect. And I'd just like to remind everyone, if you have any comments, questions, anything at all you'd like us to cover on the show, talk about, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as always, don't worry about anybody and what they're doing. Just focus on what you do best and no one's going to beat you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you had a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.